0: It is my joy and privilege today to uh, introduce some of my best friends in the world. Michelle, would you come up, please? I know. Why don't you speak today instead of Ryan? Ryan and Michelle makes, Ryan? Ryan's gonna be speaking for us today of, gosh, I don't know how many years ago it was that these folk came into my life and our life, the church that they founded called East Lake in Seattle, literally a long way away from the south, Um, where people talk differently and funny and smoke odd things um, and have great coffee. In that world, there was a church, an evangelical church, that these two started when they were just kids in their late 20s. Church grew uh, over time. They had seven campuses. We're running about 5,500 people on Sunday. And he and I began talking about how we could take large churches and make them much smaller. (laughs) And one of the ways was to find what we believe to be was the heart of the gospel and to find a pivot point of what we believe is a reformation taking place in the Christian church and human spirituality and humanity in general. And these two became friends, and long and short was in 2015, two weeks apart, we did full inclusion statements, and the rest has been history. It's been a long journey, but I just wanted to acknowledge that if it wouldn't have been for these two, I I don't know if I would have made it. No, it did um, I don't you. know if any of us, we relied on one another. And I'm now, uh, as well as continuing to be a part of Grace Point, to whatever place this needs, or whatever extent this place needs me. But as Grace Point moves to a new lead pastor and I moved to founding pastor, I'm actually going to be spending 15 to 18 weeks a year out there with these folk, which makes all the sense in the world. Uh, they've just been a huge part of my life. When I'm in Seattle, generally they have a time limit on the service. And I always go over. And he asked me how long he had this morning when I told him where I wanted him to stop. He just looked at me and said, (laughs) so I don't know when he's going to stop. But I will tell you this, when he gets started, it's going to be good. And these two people, I just wanted to give a very personal homage to, have uh, made such a difference in my life. And I can't tell you how thrilled I am to have you here at Grace Point and speaking for us. So, Thanks, would you, and we're gonna dismiss the kids after this, all the junior high and senior high, you guys can go to class, but would the junior high and senior high join us right now in thanking these two and East Lake for the role they've played in Grace Point's life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks man. Do you like spit on the front row or something? People know like not to sit there? All right, man. Well, hey, it's great to be here, especially since uh, <laughs> it took me. we were 10 minutes away. And it took 40 minutes to get here because we kept missing the, right, the turns. And so I was going progressively faster and faster, thinking, OK, I'm already a little bit behind. And, and uh, if I get pulled over, they're going to be like, where are you headed? I'm like, actually, I'm supposed to speak somewhere, and I'll, inevitably, they're going to ask me where, and I didn't want to make you guys look bad, so I would have had to say cross point, and then it would have just been an awkward. So uh, it's good to be here and make it on time. I'm glad I'm here. Well, I have a buddy who says whenever he goes to uh, some sort of religious gathering and somebody gets up to talk, he has three questions run through his mind. Who are you? When will you be done, and why are you yelling at me? And uh, yeah, hopefully I don't think yelling's my style, um, and uh, you know we'll find out when I'm done. But uh, as a bit of extension of introduction, and to get you on my side immediately, here's a photo of my kids. <laughs> so if you want to take a look here, this is my uh, son Jagger, who you can guess which one plays lineman for his high school football team. There, uh, my daughter Riley, who just turned 19, and is off to Australia and New Zealand on a gap year here soon. Dodge, my third boy there, or my third kid, and then Ace, the little guy. And uh, yeah, he's great. So four kids Whew! and three vasectomies. So, so just as, as a way of getting to know each other, I thought we could all share something personal. It's crazy having four kids. So uh, when I, I remember at one point when, when, I, when I first had one in the teen years, I was thinking about, oh my gosh, like four kids, college is getting, you know, I had to change my underwear thinking when I started to do the math. And so now, uh, when my boys are sleeping, I just whisper, community college is awesome. You know, and if I catch them reading a book, I'm just like, hey, you guys wanna check out Xbox or something? You guys wanna it's like lower the expectation. So anyway, it's great to, that's a little bit of introduction on, on, on my family. Um, and before I get into what I wanna talk about today, um, which, which might be my final sermon here. <laughs> see, how, see what you think of it. Um, I just want to say my thank you. Um, he was really gracious to say that we've been a big part, but honestly, it's, I've been much more one directional. Like, I have leaned on Stan uh, for a long time. Uh, I think he's, I don't. is anything changing? Haven't you been spending 13 weeks a year with me anyway? <laughs> it's like, this is, I've been enjoying the benefits of this, so it's kind of my turn to give back but it, it has made a huge difference just knowing that there are other churches out there. I mean, we felt so alone in 2015, and just to have somebody to talk to and relate with and to share the wounds with was so big. And, by the way, <laughs> you know where you're doing this, right? Like, what part of the country you're in. Like, we're in—you we're, know, if you flip Alabama upside down, that's like liberal Seattle. Like, we're blue necks up there. Like, it's just as mind closed. It's just in the other direction, and— Um, The fact that we're doing that and have been going through so much crap for it, but what you're doing, you're doing in the, this is like the buckle of the Bible belt, you say? I mean, it's it's incredible, and it takes a lot of courage and a lot of long-suffering, and, um, you know, you're going to have to band together and get through stuff, and we're just really encouraged uh, by your presence and your witness and what you're doing out here, so thank you. Uh, I like to consider churches like ours zombie churches, like people just can't wait to see us die, but you can't kill us. We're already dead, we just, you know, it's, and we're super into brains, so that works, right? We, we, this is a kind of community where we don't want to check the intellect. We want to look at reality, to, to face what is, to bring our brains to the adventure of cultivating and hacking a meaningful worldview um, out of the chaos and confusion of, of reality, and so good on you for that. So let's continue to do what we're doing, be a beneficial presence in the world and a pain in the ass to religion. Hallelujah, amen. Um, I, I really believe in, not that the form won't change a million times over the next decade, but what, what's happening now is so essential because it's early. Do you remember when texting first started? Nobody even had full keyboards. You were just texting on that phone. It was like called T9, right? And it was like just to get one letter. Sometimes it was three buttons. I was, I was convinced this was the stupidest technology ever. I'm like, I would never text anyone back. I just called, like, this is dumb. I'm never doing this. Well, now, of course, we all know. No, why do we call them phones? They're text machines is what they are. And once in a while, we use the phone. But we need early adopters, like my brother, who wanted to text constantly, even when it was T9. People don't know. I didn't know that I needed and wanted text messaging. It took the early adopters and the people to believe in a new idea to adopt it and move it forward. And, And really, I don't think the world is aware of what we are going to do with a world that has crumbling ideas. The world religions have absolutely failed to evolve with reality, and so we need places like this to experiment and fail and try stuff out, and it's going to take courageous people to be a part of that. And I'm just thankful that there's a place like this and a place like Eastlake. Because now more than ever, people are confused, disenfranchised, disillusioned, even angry about the way they have been taught to think about God and religion and faith. Everyone's asking important questions, I think most people, about the impact that these systems and ideas have had on themselves, as uh, they've had on humanity as a collective, our relationships with each other, our relationships to the earth, and of course our collective future. But I know that we, and specifically Stan and I, um, we believe healthy spirituality is really accessible, It doesn't have to exist in the ivory towers of academia, and it certainly doesn't have to hide itself from thinking. It can be part of our lived expression. And healthy spirituality is really just a way of beholding and responding. Beholding uh, what is, and then responding to that. It's a creative, intuitive, pragmatic response to the mystery of being alive that that ultimately finds its fulfillment in love. But it needs to be a spirituality that challenges our penchant for violence, our passive acceptance of nonstop warfare, our indifference to the poor and the marginalized, the stigmatized, the underrepresented, the overlooked, and the addicted who live all around us. And so the world needs communities like this. You need communities like this. I need communities like this that are committed to declaring the good news that love is God, that love is God. Adults, I mean, in some ways, one way to talk about what we're doing here is we're trying to raise adults. You know, America is a nation of adolescence. The consciousness just doesn't, isn't evolving. We just get to basically like a 13-year-old level of consciousness, and then we get older. And we, where are the elders who can teach us how to live in a life-sustaining way on the earth with one another, thinking generations ahead about the impact of the systems that we create, the ideas that we spread, and the way that we share this one planet home? Uh, I think it was Freud who said this, i I got a quote for you, one day in retrospect the years of struggle will strike you as the most beautiful. So as a way of sort of ending my intro of saying you guys are awesome, uh, I hope you take that to heart. You know, whatever, has anyone been here for like more than three years? Any of you been around for a little bit? Okay, see me after, I have a kiss on the mouth for you because you have endured, you have endured some incredible change. And, it's, and I hope that you're able to look back and see that what you've been through is actually an incredibly beautiful process. It's gorgeous. And, uh, you know, like that, what is that song, Imogen Heaps, it says something like, uh, there's beauty in the breakdown. And I don't know about you, but I've certainly experienced that in my own life. All right, so that's, let's get into what I really want to talk about. Uh, I know you guys aren't used to somebody coming up here with notes, but, you know, I know Stan just comes up here and makes up theology. Um, <laughs> not me. I prepare... Just kidding, I totally make up theology up here, but I just write it down. Um, We love, like, uh, stories or shows that get tied up. Like, we want them tied up in a bow. That's why, like, they figured out how to end shows where they're like, you're like, okay, maybe this is the last one we'll watch. And then in the last two minutes, they leave you on a hanger, and you're like, no, one more. Okay, one more, watch one more. We want it tied up because there's this need to see things solved. And sort of smoothed over, okay, oh, the happily ever after, we like that, right? And, and that's why a lot of our cultural stories that we love end that way, right? After a long embrace with Elliot, E.T. gets on the spaceship and, and goes away. And, and, you know, Nemo's dad begins the long journey home with his estranged little clownfish. Marty McFly goes back to the future and rescues his parents' budding romance and saves the space-time continuum thanks to the flux capacitor, which is what makes time travel possible. And after three hours of atrocious acting and really forced dialogue, the ship finally goes down and Leonardo freezes to death. (laughs) Happy endings. It's what we long for. We want things to be tied up. And you know what else bothers us, though, is when uh, you're watching a show and they keep killing off all your favorite characters. You know what I'm talking about? You're just like, oh my gosh, this is like a nonstop assassination. Well, that's what this is going to be like today. All right, so let me just tell you up front where I'm headed. And again, I got notes. I don't know if you like you're used to taking notes, but I have three points. They don't all rhyme. I didn't finish seminary, so you know. Um, So here's what I'm gonna say: quit chasing purpose, kill your gods, and forget the afterlife. Are you ready? Should we get started? Those are my three points. Uh, Let's begin with the first one: quit chasing purpose and sit with the present. Uh, A couple months ago, I was looking on Amazon about how many titles they have with purpose in them. And back then, I don't know how many there are now, there were 68,900 titles on purpose on Amazon. There is like this massive obsession with finding our particular thing. And we're always talking about what's the meaning of my life and what's my particular impact I'm going to have. And I think that while there can be a beneficial reason to explore that topic... The frenetic uh, attachment and clinging to, oh, there must be something I'm not doing right about my life. There's something outside there that needs to complete me, and I think it's making us more and more miserable. I love anybody like Mary Oliver. I think she's one of the greatest theologians that ever lived. Incredible poet. But one of of my favorite poems by her begins this way. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a 100 miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. This frenetic search for who's going to complete me or the purpose that I'm here to live is ultimately a distraction from the purpose that is inherent in the present. The present moment is already purposeful. And the fact that you exist here in it as a living being is enough. And when we're always frantically searching for that, oh, I got to perfect this moment or I got to perfect this thing rather than What is is good, and this is what is, and I can accept and enjoy and embody it fully. Anything else can be a distraction. Life is this mysterious gift from a mysterious giver, and if we consider our purpose is to experience life in whatever it brings to us in its fullest, then we're going to discover purposeful activities as a matter of natural course. What more purpose could you really want anyway, other than to see in each and every moment the beauty and the opportunity that's available in there? One of my just sort of re- mantras that I remind myself is there is no destination. I'm already here. What if you could walk with that kind of an awareness like, there is no destination. We are already here. I think that's what it means to have eyes to see. You may have heard somebody say that before. Um, that's what I like about the Buddha uh, saying, I am awake. You heard that story where the guy runs into the Buddha and, "Who are you? You're amazing? You know are you, a, are you a god? Are you a wizard? Are you? No, no, I'm none of those things. Well, what are you?" And the Buddha just responds, "I am awake. This is about seeing." Uh, some traditions call it opening your third eye." right? Being present in that moment. So quit chasing purpose and sit in the present moment. And then secondly, kill your gods and embrace mystery. In some ways, I'm borrowing the Zen idea, this invitation to um, beginner's mind. You don't know God because you already know God. That's what I'm saying. In in some ways, this is what kills marriage relationships all the time. Because you decide that you know someone. Oh, I knew you would say that. Or I know what he's going to do or she's going to say. And this ruins any sort of ongoing, evolving relationship. We're talking about another person in, in personal relationships of infinite meaning like the only way you can get to know the infinite is this this bridge of love that we extend to one another but that bridge just goes and goes and goes and so when we talk about something like mystery or the ineffable or god um, this idea that we know something is hilarious and it immediately arrests the relationship at at an absolute standstill there's nothing new to experience because there's a knowing already so my invitation to you here is to kill your gods, kill your God concepts, because there are a lot of sick ones out there. That's one of the things I'm committed to in my own life, is assassinating God concepts that are toxic to the human spirit. Uh, I bought, I've got and beat cancer last year, and uh, I, I got cleared in October of last year, so about a year ago. And I remember, oh, thank you. And I remember it drove me nuts how many people were like, told me, oh, praise God. Because nobody, none of those people told me just to pray about it, right? Because, by the way, chemo sucks. Some of you know that. And if I had known God was going to heal me, then I wouldn't have done chemo. And, you know, we say things, I think, that are coming from a place of like, we're trying to be nice and say something positive. So I get that. And so I try to interpret it like, thanks for being happy that I'm cured. But this idea, this way of holding our God concept is a toxic way. If God is, if we're always crediting God or blaming God for these things, there's a power that we're giving away. And we're always in this, like, sort of victimhood uh, position where we need to be rescued and saved. I think this is a toxic way to hold a God concept. Um... Here's a way to say that. If you were choking right now, do you want me to pray for you, or do you want the Heimlich? And if you want the Heimlich, then just be aware of what your real beliefs are in that moment. Like, we we need—we have lost the ability to really define the word, and so we're using it like all the other lazy Christian words like gospel and and God and all this stuff. We don't know what we're talking about anymore because the universe keeps expanding. And this three-tiered, like, the gods are up there and the down is the bad place— it's just broken, and we need a new vocabulary, and we need to watch what we say loosely about our God concepts. My youngest son, Ace, um, is a wild one, and the other day he got out of the shower, and he just stood in front of the mirror, and he just was, like, shaking. <laughs> and I was like, hey, man, I like, you shake what God gave you, huh? And he, go, and he stops, and he looks at me, and he's like, God didn't give me this. I grew this myself. <laughs> But I appreciate, no pun intended, his point on this one because I think we give away so much. You know, uh, a friend of mine was at their 13-year-old nephew's birthday party and everyone was saying um, about all his good attributes, they were saying, that's God in you, that's God in you, it's not you. And my buddy was saying, it was so sad because this is a great kid. Why are you stripping him of like the fact that he's a person of good character tell him it is you you're a good friend that's who you are not you're terrible and some rescuing god is inhabiting you because you're garbage that what is what are these toxic uh views of self doing to our kids and of course to so many of us who grew up in these negative um ways of seeing ourselves in the eyes of god so you know what i did when i when i got cleared from cancer my wife and i put a post up when we said hey To everyone whose kids didn't get healed. Life is shitty sometimes. And I did not get healed. You know, oh, praise God that the 39 year old white guy with good health insurance got cured when 800,000 kids die all over the world of diarrhea. We gotta stop saying this stuff. This is horrible theology, it's trapping us. And it's laying an ugly, ugly view of ultimacy, of ultimate reality, of God, of the divine, whatever, the Tao, the vital force. It's, it's toxic to people, and we need to let go of it. Kill your gods and embrace the mystery. The fact is, is many of us in this room, cancer stole something from us. And I didn't get healed because I had two extra prayers, or I'm a part of this ultimate plan. Like, oh, that's such a terrible, your kid didn't make it into the plan? What These concepts, they need to die. Lots of good people die of cancer, and that's just how life is. But it, be, it can be hard to let go of these concepts, even if what I'm saying makes sense to you, because these concepts serve us to a point, right? Kind of like clothes that start not fitting, but you're like, oh, I love this. I've had this since high school, you know. <laughs> it's like when you threw away that shirt I loved, right? Yeah, I love that shirt. It's a terrible shirt. Um, I, I love the poet David White, who's from my neck of the woods. He says this. You too saw for the first time your own house turned to ashes, everything consumed so the road could open again. There's this necessary fire, this necessary burning down of everything you spent so much energy building. I I like to buy and and restore and resell Volkswagen buses. And uh, it's all I drive all the time, these old nasty buses. And I love them. Um, But I know what it's like, because I've had like 35 of them since I turned 16. And once in a while, I get screwed on one. Like, I buy one, and it is just a garbage car, and I lose some money on it. It, That feeling of selling a car you've put so much money into is kind of like letting go of a God concept that stops working. Like, you put so much time and energy into this theology, and you probably sang a lot of songs to this God, who sometimes gives you a parking spot or helps you pledge your favorite sorority, but then doesn't heal your kid of cancer. Right? And you're like, oh, but you're protecting it. You're like, let it go. It's done. It doesn't serve you anymore. And the freedom is going to be on the other side of letting that BS God die on the cross of reality. And this pain is beckoning you, welcome to the real. Because that's where your life is really going to be. It's going to be painful to cross that bridge, but real life is on the other side. I've seen this over and over over the last few years. And really, that's, I think that's my main thing I do in life is help people let go of unhealthy theologies but we seem to frantically cling to these things that we've grown up with, our literal stories of talking snakes and flying chariots. And we talk about Noah's Ark or things like that, like they're historical documentaries. And what we do is we force ourselves into these intellectual straitjackets in a scientific world, in the era of Hubble, you know? And, and so now it's either I have to bail on faith altogether, the universe is meaningless, or I have to stop thinking. And neither of those are life-giving positions. The only reason people would continue to embrace such absurdity in the modern era is this. It would cost them too much to leave the womb. Birth is such a great metaphor for awakening. I I like it better than uh, I woke up, you know? I like Jesus, like, born again. Thank you for that phrase, because that's what it feels like. I think too too often we have this really soft American version of, of enlightenment. Like, oh, it's about Lululemon on a dock, like, hashtag inner peace awakening is like losing your mind when you wake up from the illusions of all these false ideas you feel like you're going crazy a lot of you are like are you okay yeah that's right you go to grace point what am i saying you get it one of my favorite teachers adyashanti says it this way make no mistake about it enlightenment is a destructive process it has nothing to do with becoming better or happier enlightenment is the crumbling away of untruth it's seeing through the facade of pretense. It's the complete eradication of everything we imagine to be true. Amen, hallelujah. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs> That's real. So quit chasing purpose and sit with the present. Kill your gods and embrace mystery. And third, forget the afterlife and wake up to this one. When my buddy's dad died, he went to the funeral, obviously, and, and one of the, the pastor who did the service, one of the things he said was, one thing we know for sure Death is not real. And my buddy was sitting there at his father's funeral going, that's the one thing we do know, is that my dad died. That's why we're here. And religion, isn't it amazing what a great distraction it is from the real? Like the one thing we do know. I'm not saying, when I say forget the afterlife, I'm not saying there isn't. How would I know? I've, I'm just, I've been this to this one. I was born in 1978 in Eugene, Oregon. That's all the, uh, like, life I've got. I just turned 40. This is my best guess. I don't have any reason to lay on you. I have no evidence for this. I'm open to it, super positive about it. I love it, into it. Can I get on the list? Nobody knows. I'm saying let go of the fixation because it's another distraction from the real, from what is your actual life. Mark Manson has this great line in his book, death is the light by which the shadow of all of your life's meaning is measured. Death is your cheerleader. I mean, one of the biggest gifts of my personal cancer journey was realizing that death is like on my team. It's like trying to remind me all the time, like, live! You know, the one appointment, some of you are like chronically late to everything. Good news, you're going to make it to one of your appointments on time. Death. Death. But while you will not miss your appointment with death, it is very easy, and many people do miss their appointment with life. Because they're always pushing it off, just, pre- just pretending, either pretending like, oh, I'm never going to die because I'm, you know, 22, so I don't have to think about it, which is a way to avoid being 22. Or ha- latching on to a religion as a way of avoiding it as well. Death screams at us. This is temporary. So live. I think it's funny to me that even, like, even if people who read, have a literal reading of the Bible, I'm like, come on, guys. Listen to the story. This is so not how we are. In the Gospels, the writers tell us Jesus, after this resurrection experience, he doesn't talk at all about what happens when you die. And here's the guy who comes back from the dead. Nobody even asks. It doesn't even come up. Same thing with Lazarus. He's dead for a couple days, and he comes back, and nobody's like, hey, so, like, what happened? Like, we are fixated. Religious, human beings, that's all we talk about. We're like, what happens when you die? You know, we're, all, we're making shows about it all the time. And this happens two times, at least in the Bible, right? And nobody even cares to ask. You guys, when you go to New York, I'm like, how was your trip? <laughs> People die and come back, and nobody's like, oh, I forgot to ask you. So what happens? Like, I don't think this is a real story. And more importantly, it's not the point of the story at all. It's not about what happens after you die. It's about what happens when you live. It's about this life. It's not about chasing resurrection. It's about submitting to crucifixion. That's the thing why uh, I wish I could get over Jesus. Like, I, I can't. I'm, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm so sick of it. It's so much baggage. Jesus died for your sins crap. But I can't get away from Jesus. Like, the cross is so essential. It's so missing from so many of these soft, milk toast. Uh, spirituality is about just validating your own pathology. Crucifixion and suffering, this is real. This is the real. And it's an invitation to the real that wakes you up. I grew up hearing that believing in a historical resurrection event, me agreeing something happened in the past that I couldn't verify, was the path to salvation or enlightenment or whatever word you want to use. But man, cancer showed me something so different. It's about surrendering to the pattern of crucifixion. Suffering or facing your death that ultimately redeems you. Crucifixion redeems you because you submit to it, because you surrender to it. You finally go, okay, I am going to die, or life is hard. This is suffering. Resurrection is just the proof that something has been raised. It's not the focal point of it, right? You don't. We know the cliches: no pain, no gain; no mud, no lotus; no pressure, no diamond. I would add: no crisis, no evolution. There's a lot of like. There's these different worldviews, like that whole like sort of. And I like a lot of it, but that sort of New Agey secret stuff—that's like the worldview is: um, you're perfect just as you are. You need to be free, but you're not. Yes, you are. It's in you, and that sounds great, but it's not quite it. And then Christianity's like <laughs> almost the opposite: you're a dirty <laughs> sinner. You need to be free, but you're not. You can be if you just trust Jesus. It's kind of the same thing over here, right? You're perfect as you are, you need to be free, but you're not, just trust that you are free. It's kind of the same thing, it's just really dark version. It's just like, you know, the yin and the yang there. I wanna suggest something different that's actually evidence-based. You're an evolving consciousness. You're not a sturdy center or perfect. You're evolving. And you can be free if you want, And it's gonna require dealing with your crap and like going into your pain. It's the downward ladder. It's to face yourself. It's go into the tunnel, Luke, and look at all that and face it and deal with it and transmute it. Get up on that cross. I know it's so funny. We made Jesus Christianity. Oh man, come on back to the story, folks. We made him a mascot. Everyone's taking selfies at the cross like me and Jesus. And Jesus is like, take up yours, right? This is it's not he's not a mascot, he's a model. It's this is like, oh, we're not like, oh, Jesus paid it all. Then what do we need to pick up our cross? He didn't pay it all. He's like, come on, this is the road to living an awakened human life. It's to submit to the crucifixion, to say yes to your life and the suffering. The point is it takes a lot for us to wake up. And like a 14-year-old kid on a Monday morning, we take a vigorous shaking to really wake up to conscious self-awareness. And it's a death to an old way of being and an old way of seeing. And you can resist the pain and the mud and the pressure and the crisis, but it only keeps you stuck. But if you surrender, if you yield, if you let go, if you say yes to God or whatever the fundamental principle of reality is for you, and you allow that to fully possess, you say yes to your life, you say, hey, small ego self, you're not in the throne anymore, right? We dethrone the small self ego because it's going to throw a tantrum when you do. When you try to transcend that, it's going to freak out. And like a little, the problem with your ego is it's really good at keeping you alive, but it's wisdom challenged. So it loves being in fear, but as soon as you transcend the fear, it has no wisdom to offer you. You have to trust something deeper. Maybe for you, that's called the Holy Spirit or your spiritual self. It doesn't matter what language you use. But like a little Herod inside, ego doesn't know when to sit down in the face of a higher power. And it's going to try to snuff out the life that begins to grow in you when you say yes to life and yes to suffering. That that child king that will grow in the manger of your heart, ego's going to try to snuff it out. And it's going to say, you're going to be living in a van down by the river. Right? That's what ego is always worried about. You're going to live in a van down by the river. Don't, Don't let go. Don't surrender to the process of unraveling. But that's really where the freedom is. At night, I like to tuck my kids in. <laughs> You're going to be like, this guy's so weird. I tuck my kids in, and I, and I, I remind myself that they're going to die. And that's, and to me, all I know is that, that, to me, that's the end as much as I know for sure. And that may sound morbid to you, but to me, it brings life in technicolor. And I kiss their little faces. Do you even see a flower unless you know that it's going to pass? I don't know if you can even see it. Do you really see it? I mean, what do we want? Do we want the fake ones or the real ones? Why? Why do we want the real ones? They don't even last. Because that's that's what's beautiful. We know that. Wake up to the beauty that is your life. That's what was so great about cancer. Cancer was like, it was always temporary. Ryan, (laughs) quit putting your life on for uh, for later. We have this moment and these people and this love. And so many of us are moving so fast and missing what's right in front of us. I grew up in a Christian story that said death is a punishment. Gosh, if Adam and Eve, wouldn't I just, you know? Like like death was a problem. And that's just fundamentally scientifically untrue. Death feeds all that is. Death is, is a friend, it's a partner in this cycle that we're a part of, and you can't run from it. That's why I love being a false teacher. I love teaching that some things are false. Death is not a punishment. You are not an alien here. You belong here. You are an elemental descendant of ancestral stars that gave their lives to create the periodic table of elements, to forge planets and systems and Milky Way galaxies. You are not in an ecosystem. You are part of one. You are not on a journey to becoming whole. You're waking up to your innate wholeness. So take a deep breath today and remind yourself that one day it will be your last. See the flower that is your life because it's going to pass. And go out and love like it's going to end because it is. Thanks. Thanks.
0: and that is how you take an evangelical church from 10,000 down to (laughs) a thousand. Two, I've worked my whole life at being a good speaker because I believe what we're trying to talk about deserves the best. And because of that I seldom I'm a harsh critic of speaking and That was just the best thing I've heard in a long time. And I put out and put out and put out thought, and then sometime, and I was sitting here thinking, and if you don't get this, and what he just said made you uncomfortable, that's good. I dare you to listen to it again, and again, and again. That may have been, God, when I ever say this, that may have been the closest thing to approximating what I think Jesus would say if he got up to talk about life to a group of people in 2018 in this setting. That was as close as I've heard.